And here we are, episode 28. Welcome everybody to the Hero Bells podcast, and I am Kyle McCaffrey, the host of this show. Ooh, I got a message. See, normally I'm smart enough to turn off my notifications when, uh, ooh, I get two. When, um, <laughs> when I'm recording, but I also can't help myself and I look. I am such a whore. I have to look whenever I get a notification. I had this down pat in September. <sighs> I'm going to have to nip that in the bud. No, it's already out of control. I'm not nipping anything in the bud. But anyways, welcome to the Hero Bells podcast, and today is episode 28. <sighs> if you want to find all of these podcasts that I do, you can go to anchor.fm slash Hero Bells, or you can go onto YouTube. Maybe you're listening to this on YouTube. You can just search Hero Bells. Find me on Instagram. You can get all sorts of content on there, mostly complexes and flows at hero underscore kbells, and then on Facebook at hero kbells. And that's where you can, on Facebook, you can get all sorts of supplementary materials. It always sounds so weird when I sound formal. But uh, yeah, you can get all your supplementary materials to each episode. Sometimes I don't have one. I didn't have one for for the last podcast, which was about New Year's resilience. I could have easily done that, um, I suppose. But I'd rather you just listen to it because there was more of an opinion in there. Maybe next time I do something like that, I will have a questionnaire. Something that you can write to me and answer back and make some posts on there. But if you're not liking that page, you're not going to have access to it. So you have to go to the Facebook page and you have to like it. Turn on your notifications. And sometimes I throw out wicked offers so that you can get some training from me online and super duper cheap. And I don't mean cheap in quality. I mean cheap in terms of inexpensive. That's the word. Marketing 101. But anyway, you may have heard on podcasts previously about flow states, mindset, and other flavors in psychology pertaining to training and life. In episodes 2 and 11, I read The Psychology of Performance by Dr. Eddie O'Connor. He's a sports psychologist. I don't remember where he taught. I think it's Yale. And I talked a little bit about practice, mental discipline, uh, to building on goals and values. I talked about how this will relate to your training. If you haven't listened to them, then maybe you should do that, and you'll have um, an introduction to Eddie O'Connor and this book. Um, today, we're going to read from the same book, The Psychology of Performance, and read about visualization to scratch the surface on the power this has to affect your performance in sport, as well as get a little bit more of a nuanced understanding of visualization itself. So here we go. This is Eddie O'Connor. Imagery is a skill that can be learned and improved with practice, and while it is frequently used to improve physical performance, tasks that also include a cognitive component may even be more susceptible to improvement through imagery, sometimes called visualization, as this is a large component of the experience. Athletes will see themselves from one to two perspectives. One is from the first-person perspective called internal visual imagery. Imagery. That is, seeing that he or she would see if he or she were actually performing. The other is external visual imagery, a third-person perspective in which the performer is watching the action from outside of his or her own body. So you're imagining yourself doing it, essentially. Or you're imagining yourself doing it from your perspective, like when uh, cops wear body cams. 
kind of that idea. First-person shooters, video games, think that. In this image, individuals view their performance from multiple angles to improve their processing of relevant details. You may have heard imagery referred to as visualization, but that doesn't quite capture it. Visualizing is, a cert is certainly a part of it, but the visual image alone is too limiting. Kinesthetic or feeling imagery is also needed. Kinesthetic imagery includes calling to mind the physical sensations, such as the muscle tension and rapid heart rate that you might feel before a competition. It might also include an awareness of your body's movement in execution or positioning in space. Feeling pain and fatigue are common components of kinesthetic imagery that are incorporated with the endurance athletes or with patients rehabilitating from an injury. Emotions are also an important component of feeling an image. Performers have to use all of their senses in imagery, and while visualizing your performance has some link to the motor execution of that action through the use of functional MRI. We find that kinesthetic imagery results in greater activation of motor processing brain structures than visual imagery alone. So having that feeling more than just what you see in your memory, the more you can have all the senses involved, the more likely it is to be a concrete pathway in the mind to that, the execution of the task as I understand it. So um, one thing that uh, a friend of mine was telling me about was when people are, say, injured, say you um, broke your femur and you can't walk or you can't train and you, most of your training is, um, say, doing squats, you're a power lifter or something like that. You can lay on the bed and they obviously have a more nuanced method. I'm probably butchering this, but Essentially, you're through visualization and having done so many reps and knowing the feeling that maybe they put a hand, a bar in the person's hands so that it feels like there's a barbell or, um, and putting them in a certain position and the brain will fire up the exact same way as if they were actually completing the task, even though they're not doing anything. And patients would report that they would feel tired in the muscles that they were normally exercising, which is fascinating. How much truth there is to that, I don't know. You do more research. Actually, it's, that's kind of my job as the host, but I don't have that research, so deal with it. <sighs> anyway, so what makes imagery so effective and how does it help performance? In short, it is the degree of neural overlap between imagery and the preparation and production of actual movements called functional equivalence. Not only are similar brain activities noted when a behavior is both imagined and performed, but recorded EMG activity showed a similar response in muscles when performing and imagining tasks. This is sort of backing up what I was saying. I heard this from a friend of mine before I even read this chapter, so that's kind of neat. Where are we here? That's right. Oh no. In one study, greater EMG activity in the muscles was noted when greater dumbbell weight was imagined being lifted. Interesting. Researchers in a study from 2009 found that participants increased their one rep maximum on a bicep curl strength task about equally when compared imagery alone to physical practice alone. This means that some participants got physically stronger without lifting weights. Sounds like bullshit, but we're going to read on and figure this out at least hopefully from Eddie O'Connor's perspective. 
obviously this is with a curl. I used a squat as an example, but I I just don't, I, I'm hoping that he's not getting to, he's not saying here that you don't have to exercise because that would be stupid. I don't think he's doing that. Back to the book. Imagery affects more than muscles, producing cardiovascular and respiratory responses. If you imagine that stressful meeting tomorrow or that big tournament this weekend, your heart rate increases and your breathing becomes short and shallow, just like it does in real life. This functional equivalence extends to the neural activity that occurs when you see, hear, and smell things in visual, auditory, and olfactory imagery. So that means sight, sound, and smell. Yeah. Okay. He said that. Perfect. The name neural process that are activated when you perceive things with your senses are recreated when you imagine them. When we physically learn to do something, the brain changes. Neural connections are strengthened, connections are added or removed, and new cells are formed. And we know, we now know that the brain is activated in very similar ways when imagining motor movements. So, the brain changes that occur when you learn a new skill physically are also occurring when you imagine them, resulting in real physical learning and development of that imagined skill. So, technically, if I'm understanding him right, he is saying it's not the muscle that is getting stronger, it is the neural connection to that muscle that is getting stronger and making you more capable of, say, li lifting A, B, C, X, Y, Z, or Z for Americans. Uh, weight. Combining physical practice with imagery consistently yields superior performance results than practice alone. Boom. That line right there. I'll say it again. Combining physical practice with imagery consistently consistently yields superior performance results than practice alone. So we know that visualization, huge component, take it home with you, use it. Start thinking of stuff. When you lay in bed and you're, you're, or wherever you're laying, maybe on the ground or something like that, or maybe you're even just doing, you're standing underneath a squat rack, put that bar in your hand, smell chalk and sweat and feet or something like that. Who knows? Have every sense stimulated and imagine lifting that 500 pound, you know, the 500 pound squat or deadlift or whatever you need to do, but you want to recreate this in your mind. And so you can get more reps in, in the brain because apparently the brain is a huge component to building the body in whatever way you plan to do that. In some cases, alternating physical practice with imagery alone resulted in similar performance results, despite a 50% reduction in physical training. To get the best effect, you want to maximize the neural overlap between your images and your physical performance. The approach suggested by the PETLEP model, that's P-E-T-T-L-E-P, -T -T -E model of imagery does this. Even the seven elements of this acronym intends to amplify the functional equivalence between imagery and motor performance. There's going to be, there's going to be a infographic of this on my Facebook page. It'll be available on Wednesday. You're going to get that which uh, you're probably listening to that to this on Wednesday. I'm recording it on sat the previous Saturday. You're going to get the PETLEP acronym and under see what it stands for. I'm going to read through it right now so you can go back to it and figure this out because, well, it's powerful. And that's why I'm telling you so that you can, um, you can imagine yourself doing some of these things. And you can save some time. Think of it as a meditation. So the PETLEP model is an acronym. The P stands for the physical nature of imagery. Imagery can be done in a relaxed state, but it is more powerful when you move and rehearse the actual movements. The more physical it can be, the better. So get your body into position to perform. Make the movements 
wear the clothes you'll be competing in, and hold any equipment specific to the task you're rehearsing, like I said before. Get a bar, get some doweling or you know sticks or whatever you got to do to pretend there's a bar in your hand. Maybe it's a kettlebell, whatever, uh, a steel mace, if you will, battle ropes, anything to simulate that, throw on your workout gear. And we're going to get into more of this right now and figure out what else you need. So E in pet lap, the first E, is environment. Refers to where the imagery is performed. Visit the site where you'll be performing. Taking pictures as needed to remember the details. And recreate the location in your mind when you return home. Now, I'm wondering because there is a, I think this is totally true. Because I was reading a book before and it was about memory, which is hilarious because I have a terrible memory and that's why I was reading it. My memory is awful. Uh, getting punched in the head will do that to you. So, at least that's what I think it was. Maybe I just got dropped as a baby. I forgot everything after age 27. I don't know. But anyway, um, you want to create a mental environment when you're trying to remember something so you can remember details. For instance, if you were going through your house and say you spent a lot of time at home, you remember pretty much every detail of where you live. So say you wanted to remember the num- your credit card number. What you would do is say your first four digits on your credit card were four, my lucky number, I guess, zero, zero, nine. You're trying to remember that. So what you would do is you would, in your mind, imagine yourself walking into your front door and you have, say, your set of stairs in front of you. You would put a four made out of something memorable. Let's just say it's made out of um, styrofoam. You know, you put a styrofoam four on your stairs and then you go to your right and where your living room is and you would put a zero there made out of sticks you know, you'd something, <laughs> I don't know why you'd have that. And then you walk around and you find the kitchen and you put the other zero there made out of whatever memorable substance. Maybe it's slime, snot, poo, I don't know. And so on. And then you'd put maybe put the nine in a pantry. I have no idea. But that's what you're going to do. And then what you do is cycle through that memory over and over again. So now you're going to remember 4009. Understand? So when you go and collect this imagery, these visual um, aids for the environment, that's kind of the same idea, is that you're trying to recreate this thing so that it is clear and you're able to imagine the environment that you're going to be in accurately. So the first T in PETLEP, <laughs> P-E-T-T-L-E-P, defines the content of the image, task. So we're talking about the task. It should be appropriate to the skill level and preferences of the performer. Imagery is intended to develop real skills. It isn't a fantasy. The second T is timing and refers to the speed of the image. This was the part that was a little bit more difficult for me to understand when I read it before. Whenever possible, real-time imagery is preferred because we perform in real time. So maybe he's talking about video. I don't know. You may slow an image to focus on a particular detail if needed or when control of the image is difficult and slow motion is needed to correct it. So maybe you are running and you want to find out if you're, maybe you're heel striking or you're striking midfoot or on the toes and you're wondering if your knee is bent, some sort of detail you want to find that out, obviously the video is going to help you and find out exactly where your feet are landing and when. So that maybe that's exactly how we need to understand that. Now the last 
or sorry, the next letter is L and learning is the fifth component of that model. So learning, like task, the learning component takes into account the current level skill level of the performer, but adds that the content of the imagery should be adapted over time as the athlete becomes more skilled. Changing the imagery in response to learning keeps the athlete progressing in skills. So you have to change the images up. You need a little bit of novelty. Um, or sorry, the imagery, not the images. In response to learning and keeps the athlete progressing in skills. Okay, I didn't understand that right. This only refers to physical skills, but also psychological states such as confidence and motivation. So after learning, we have the next component, which is emotion. We live life emotionally. You can't help it. And this is particularly true of competitive sport and other performance domains. Therefore, for an image to be realistic, the emotions felt during performance must be recreated. Makes perfect sense, seeing as information goes up through the brain, and apparently, apparently, if you l listen to another podcast that I did, um, hits the amygdala first, which is kind of the emotional center of the brain, and that's how, and this is before it goes to the neocortex, which is the logical thinking part of the brain. At the, I think that's at the front, I think. I should know this, I suppose, if I'm talking shit. But anyways, you're obviously going to want an emotional provided it's a good emotion or a productive emotion. But like they, he said in learning, confidence, motivation, maybe you want to have, um, oh, no, I think they would do it. Maybe just happiness as an emotion or a healthy kind of fear, fear of loss. Maybe not too much because people who are afraid of losing all the time tend to lose a lot. But anyways... Therefore, for an image to be realistic, the emotions felt during performance must be recreated. Rehearsing and developing the emotional responses you want to feel during a performance is a great target for imagery reuse. Last is perspective, and it's the final component and refers to the viewpoint of the performer during imagery. There is not a strong consensus on which perspective is better, either first person or third person. First person may be the best when rehearsing attitudes and emotions or when rehearsing strategy. A third-person perspective may be adopted to review form when executing a technical skill. Athletes report using both and sometimes bouncing between the two. Which, before I learned about visualization um, in this capacity, reading this book, I would go from a third-person only. I, I never even It never even dawned on me, for some reason, to imagine myself doing it from my own perspective. I don't know why. But I've imagined myself doing it, and I found it effective only sometimes. Or maybe it wasn't effective at all. I have no idea. But it felt effective. So anyway, let's see where we are. I think we can keep going. So the Petlet model includes the first two important points of how to do imagery. Include physical movement and equipment, and do it in the performance environment, or at least recreate the environment the best you can, imagining details, using audio sounds, and sense. The combination of physical practice and imagery yields the best results, and like physical skills, imagery skills can be developed. So you might suck at this. You might think, I have no imagination or I'm not creative. Bullshit. You're going to be able to do it. All you have to do is practice just a little bit, maybe 10 minutes every day. Maybe you're into jujitsu. I know I was. I still kind of am. I I'm going to get back into it. But there, was, there were times where I would have 
opponents that I had rolled with a million times. And sometimes I imagine myself winning and I won, which not it's not really winning. I'm just training. But for me and my my level of confidence to be able to combat somebody else who was bigger and stronger was a, was a big deal to me. But whatever. The whole point is, is that you can learn to do this. So the combination of physical practice and imagery yields the best results. And like physical skills, imagery skills can be developed. Okay, you can do it. At least three times per week is recommended, as one study found significantly better results with three practices over once weekly. Physical practice can be limited by injury, fatigue, or overtraining the body. Petlep imagery can be done when the body needs to rest. So by combining imagery with the physical practice, wear and tear on the body can be decreased. So if you are a Monday, Wednesday, Friday kind of training person and you'd like to go three to four times a week on your off days when you're doing your active recovery, that's what you can do. Take 10 minutes and you'll be fine. You'll be able to imagine things. And probably by the end of a couple weeks, you're going to be a lot better at it. Hopefully you have something that is uh, easy to recreate, but maybe you don't. Maybe you got to put the work in physically. Go to the mats, take some pictures, study your opponents, or who knows, whatever you have to do. Many of the studies proving imagery's effectiveness consist of only 3 to 15 minutes of practice in the whole experiment. Although effective, such a short duration may not maximize the effect. And the authors of a meta-analysis examining the issue concluded that 20 minutes is the optimal duration of imagery practice. Okay, so 20 minutes. Deal with it. It's not that much. You can do it. You might even be able to do it before bed. And if you don't have a busy brain and you actually meditate and you're calm, it's going to be even easier. A big question with some conflicting recommendations is whether you should relax before doing the imagery. With the PETLAP model, you probably shouldn't. Relaxation is often inconsistent with the excited arousal stage of performance and may conflict with the desired realistic emotional component. So don't be too relaxed. Maybe not before bed. Right? Right. I don't know. For me, if I do something before bed and there is something I'm doing, I can still do it in bed. I still don't go to sleep right away. I don't hit the sheets and also done. Never. Never, ever, ever. So maybe you can, but you still want to be in a state where you want your senses to be somewhat heightened. So likely the middle of the day when you have a chance, do it. Imagery vividness does not seem to be enhanced when you relax beforehand either, although you aren't able to control the image or concentrate on what you're doing. Some authors suggest that relaxation can help clear out distractions for imagery beginners and help them focus. So maybe, like I said before, you might have to do some meditation so you're calm, you want to make sure you're clear, you're not thinking about you know, sick children, uh, your sick children or financial stress or something. Make sure you cross your T's, dot your I's, get your ducks in a row. You know, that kind of shit. Get your shit together. It is dark in here. There we go. I was dying. <sighs> Another thing to avoid when using imagery is negative language. Don't turn the ball over or don't make a mistake here are sport examples. So it's not like, you know, saying shit or fuck. It's negative language. So you want to avoid the words don't. 
Our brains don't process the negative language without introducing the very thing we do not want to see or do. Focus and use words that reflect only what you want to do. There's a book I want to read. Oh, I shouldn't even have said it because now I can't even remember the name of it. See, told you, bad memory. But basically, it, a part of it, a big part of it was building your own self-image and how you think of yourself and how important this is. Oh, for us, the hobby was just talking about it. Anyway. Controlled research has proven that negative imagery can result in performance deterioration. So you want to be sure you control your image to do what you intend it to do. If you accidentally have a negative image, you don't want to end there. Take the time to correct it and end on a positive image. But you don't want to imagine everything unrealistically perfect either. Imagine great performances under realistic adverse conditions, such as feeling nervous or imagining yourself bouncing back from a mistake to perform in the clutch. These are more helpful scenarios, particularly in practice between competitions. That's huge for me because one of my things um, for me whenever I'm injured or something doesn't go right is my resilience isn't as fast as I would like it to be. I'm sure that's how everyone feels, but that's something that I would like to work on and minimize the space between where I fall off and get back on the horse. Reducing that time between would be profoundly uh, helpful. You know, um, whenever I've been injured, I'll have small injuries. I'll be out for three to six weeks of doing regular training. <sighs> I hate to admit it, but <laughs> it's so depressing when you get an injury that you can't, so you can't do something you want to do, especially when you're just getting going. It's the worst feeling. It happens, but you want to be resilient. So imagining yourself, uh, maybe I'm talking to myself here, but imagining yourself getting back on the horse right away would be pretty helpful. Back to the book. Before performances, however, keeping your imagery and focus on excellent execution is best. Also avoid imagery without a goal. Each imagery practice session should have a specific purpose. There's a triple code model of imagery that highlights three essential components, the image itself and the somatic or bodily response to the image and the personal meaning of the image. Hold on one sec, folks. All right, we're almost there. Personal meaning has been shown to create greater EMG activity in the muscles and in greater perception of imagery ability compared to generic imagery scripts. That means, or that meaning or purpose of the image can be varied. In addition to using imagery for motor learning, you can also use imagery to improve your motivation for a particular task or goal by rehearsing the emotions you want to feel in those challenging situations. You can practice focused attention, physical arousal, and emotional control. You can review past performances and evaluate your decisions and actions. You can use imagery to enhance strength and flexibility by imagining the growth and lengthening of the muscles during exercise. Research has also found imagery to be effective in healing by imagining the process of physiological healing or seeing yourself as healthy and fully functioning. This isn't limited to just sport rehabilitation, but is used in the effective treatment of cancer and other chronic diseases. Wow. Graded motor in imagery, for example, is a specific protocol that has been used to lower pain and disability in chronic pain populations. The motivation to practice often gets in the way of successful imagery practice. An imagery program takes a lot of time and effort to be successful. 
It is up to the performer to decide if the gains are worth the investment. It helps to understand the measurable performance improvement that can be had through the real physiological changes that occur with consistent imagery rehearsal. I had to speed through that part. See, this thing turns into a pumpkin in half, well, over half an hour. So we're at 28 minutes, and I'm just going to give you a quick couple plugs. Make sure you look into Eddie O'Connor, The Psychology of Performance, and it's how to use sports psychology in life and, of course, in competition. If you want to get all of my content, you can go onto YouTube, search Hero Bells. I have vlogs, podcasts, how-tos, and full workouts on there. You can go onto Instagram, at hero underscore kbells. And you can get all sorts of content on there. Watch what I do day in, day out. Because I usually have quite a few stories on there. Letting you know what's going on. And then you can get the supplementary material like I promised on Facebook. At Hero Bells, And you will get all sorts of extra materials on there from previous podcasts. And you can get all of that if you just like the page. So it's pretty easy to do. I appreciate you very much for listening. I have grown my audience from zero to eight to 17, and now I'm at 32 of people who are consistently listening. That's awesome. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time for episode 29. Have a good one.